You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Thank you all for joining online. Um, I just want to say uh, thank you, how thankful I am for uh, being a part of this congregation and being a part of this church. I'm so thankful to God for the Christian fellowship here, for the, the faithful teaching and preaching of God's word, and I'm just thankful for God for this church. Let's pray. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Father, you are so great in your mercy, in your power, in your love, in your grace, God. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for your love, for this congregation, for the blessings you've given this congregation. I pray you'll continue to bless it. Father, we uh, pray that as the Christmas season has wound down and the excitement and the hustle and bustle are, are behind us, pray that we would uh, not be distracted from the excitement, but we will be able to focus on your word this morning. Father, we, uh, we thank you for all the good gifts you've given, Father. None more than your son, Jesus Christ. Father, bless this time this morning. In your name, amen. It seems fitting that on the last Sunday of the year 2020, we'll be separated and at home because of the coronavirus. Usually around this time of the of year, we reflect on the past year. And this year is, is one we might not want to reflect on as much. It's been a pretty crazy year wild stuff from weird things like murder hornets and fire tornadoes to to new normals like social distancing and remote learning to more discouraging things such as the nation being divided by racial tensions and, and political tensions surrounding the election almost to the point where every issue turns into a controversy. To all of the, the sickness and the disease and the, set and the separateness and the deaths, both COVID-related and non-COVID-related. And just looking at this past year, it just looks like a mess. It looks like total chaos. And we might be wondering, Where is all this heading? What's the point of all this? What is the meaning? John, in the book of Revelation, has been dealing with a similar situation. Revelation seems to have been written in the mid-90s AD. So this means that he has seen the fall and the destruction of Jerusalem. 
He has seen his closest friends and fellow apostles being executed in horrific ways. He himself has been tortured and beaten in prison and is now in exile. His life might seem chaotic. And in the midst of this, he receives a glimpse of what is to come, a preview of the things to come. And for us, as we are ending this year and are looking forward to a new one, we need to remind ourselves of this same glimpse that John saw in Revelation chapter 5. John sees that Jesus is crowned as king of all and is praised by all creation. Jesus' perfection and his work of redemption makes him worthy to rule as king of all. If you would, follow along as we read Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And when he took the scroll and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. John starts his vision by being invited by Jesus into the throne room of the Father. It is only by Jesus that we come to the Father. 
and it is Jesus himself that calls us to his coronation. John comes to the throne room and sees the father sitting on his throne in all of his holy, glorious majesty. John sees that the presence of the holy God and the splendor of his majesty compulses the elders and the living creatures who are around the throne to ceaselessly worship him for who he is and what he has done in creation. With this as the background, we begin in chapter 5. Chapter 5 has two divisions. The first section, we see Jesus being crowned as the only one worthy to carry out God's plan. John, in the spirit, sees that in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, God the Father, is a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. There are a few observations we should make in this text. First, the scroll that is in the hand of the Father is God's plan for history. It is the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 3 to reverse the curse that was brought about by the fall. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned against God, and God is about to hand the curses out for the punishment for their sins. But before he curses them, he curses the serpent. And in that curse, he promises a savior. He promises redemption. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a promise that there will be enmity between the people of Satan, the people of the devil, and the people of the woman or the people of God. Between the offspring of this, this, the serpent and the offspring of the woman. And then it focuses on one particular offspring. A he. He shall bruise the head of the serpent. And the serpent shall bruise his heel. Meaning that the serpent will hurt him. But he, the seed, will defeat, will kill the serpent. This is a promise to reverse the curses that were about to be handed out in Genesis. That the enmity between us and the people of, the, of Satan would be ended. That the enemies of God would be judged and the people of God will be redeemed. It is God's plan to redeem his people and judge his enemies. It is the plan to make all things right his plan of justice and mercy. This world may seem to us chaotic, but it is all working out according to God's plan. Second, it is a holy plan. The plan is God's, and therefore it is holy. It is not twisted. It is not unfair. It is not unjust. It is holy and it is perfect. And third, it is complete and it is a comprehensive plan. 
It says it is written within and on the back. It's not missing any details. It is full. It is complete and comprehensive. There are no minor details left out. There are no minute points that is missed. <coughs> this includes the, the broadest aspects of history and even the smallest details of our own lives. We may think that God overlooks certain details, but his attention is on everything. Everything in our lives are according to plan. Next in the vision, John sees a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, proclaiming so that all reality can hear. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who is qualified is what he's saying. Who is qualified? Who is worthy to reveal God's plan for justice and redemption and to execute it? Who can do this? And in response to the angel's question, it's complete silence. Even crickets can't make a noise. There's no one. Verse 3 says, no one in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in all of creation, no one in all of creation was able to open the scroll and to look into it. No one was able to reveal God's plan and to execute justice and redemption. There is so much division in the world and in this nation as we've seen this past year. And this is because so many people are looking to people and groups for justice. But none of these people and groups can give the justice that we desperately long for. Even the best of the best of creation is not qualified. We look for presidential candidates or social justice reform groups, but they all fall short. None of them, none of them can deliver the justice. None of them are worthy. No one in all creation can reverse the curse in Genesis 3. No wonder John says in verse 4, and I began to weep loudly because no one was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Then in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Notice, it is not the angel from before that brings this good news that there is someone. It is one of the elders, which represent the people of God. We get to bring the goodness, the good news of Jesus. We get to do this. And the elder brings this good news. The elder comforts John and weeping by telling him that all hope is not lost. There is one and only one who is worthy to carry out God's justice and redemption. It is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. These descriptions show his power, his royalty, and his preeminence. The line of the tribe of Judah points back to Genesis 49, 
and the blessings given from Jacob to his sons. And this one to Judah, the lion, a powerful beast, a royal almost king, the root of David. David is the king, we know. But it shows his preeminence because David was not the root of Jesus, but Jesus was the root of David. Jesus came first. He is shown to have the power, the preeminence, and the royalty. And he has conquered. Conquered what? What has he conquered? He has conquered sin by living a perfect life of obedience, even unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, he is perfectly righteous to judge. And he has conquered death. He has conquered death in his resurrection. Therefore, he has the power and authority to give eternal life. Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy. All of creation is not only Jesus. There may seem throughout our lives that there are many things that we have to give our attention to. That there are many things that we have to give our time and efforts to. But none of them deserve our time and effort, only to the extent that they glorify Jesus. Jesus is only worthy of our, all our time and efforts. He is worthy of our allegiance. He is worthy of all praise and glory. He is the only one who is worthy. C.T. Studd once said, only one life, and it will soon be passed. And only what is done for Christ will last. In our lives, there are many things we must do. But the only things that will last, the only things of eternal value, is what glorifies Jesus, the worthy one. Now, as we move to verse 6, I want you to notice the irony, the picture of irony that we see here. John was told of the lion that has conquered. And as he turns to look, he sees a lamb as though it had been slain. Jesus has conquered by his life of obedience. The same lion that has conquered is the lamb that was slain. And he was slain for us. He has conquered. He has defeated. And now he is worthy of all. We see the lamb with seven horns and seven eyes that symbolize the all power and knowledge of Jesus. This is the beauty of Jesus. We see him pictured as all powerful, all royal, and preeminent in majesty. But we also see him with meekness and humility as a lamb. Jesus is perfectly symmetric in all of his attributes. He is the beautiful one. And he has conquered. Then in verse 7, the moment that all creation has been longing for since the fall. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The lamb has conquered. 
And this is his coronation as king of all. He has come back victorious. Psalm 24, 7 to 10 says it like this. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Daniel 7 describes the scene as Jesus receiving dominion over all. Jesus, the conquering lion, the lamb that was slain, is the king of all. This moves us to the second division, where Christ, the king, is worshipped by all creation. After Jesus takes the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders that are around the throne, worshiping the Father, now fall before Jesus and are worshiping the Lamb. It says that they fell down, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the people of God. There are no prayers of God's people that is not heard or neglected. Every prayer, every sigh, every tear, every plea of relief from the people of God is heard by God and is answered in Jesus. The elders, people of God, sing to the Lamb. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This song, this song deserves its own sermon. There's so much in it. But let's look at two, let's make two notes. First, the people of God, the people worshiping Jesus are diverse. They're not one people. Jesus is not some local deity worshipped by one group of people. He is the cosmic ruler of everything. And people from all walks of life will be worshipping Jesus. He has saved from, from every tribe, every language, every nation, every people, a people for himself to worship him. If you imagine that the people of God in heaven only look like you, you're wrong. You're misguided. The people of God are diverse. There's only one thing that unites. There's only one thing that unites these people. And it is that Jesus has ransomed or purchased them for God by his blood. They're not united around age or likes or dislikes. They're not united around social or economic class. They're united by the blood of the Lamb, by the salvation that comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Next, this is 
there's levels. The first level is the elders, the living creatures, who are with the God the Father and with the Lamb. And then there's another level around them. And this is the voice of many angels, right? It extends to the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, countless angels, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Notice again, the proximity of the worshipers. It is not the angels who are close and that we're on the outside. No, we, the people of God, are with Jesus, near him, close to him. And it is the angels who surround us, who close us in. And then the last, the, the farthest level, the outside of the angels, is the rest of creation. Then verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, on the earth, and in the sea. All creation and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is all the rest of creation. This includes every unbeliever. This includes every oppressor of God's people, every evil tyrant, every demon, even Satan himself. They will all bow before Jesus in submission. We, the people of Jesus, will bow out of gratitude and love. But those on the outside, the enemies of Jesus, will bow out of defeat. If you are an unbeliever, you may think to yourself that you will not submit to Jesus, that you reject Jesus. But you will bow. That is not a question. You will bow before Jesus. The question is, will you bow out of gratitude with the people of God for the salvation that he has given? Or will you bow out of defeat? alongside his enemies. For believers, this should give us encouragement and endurance. One, because these who have oppressed us, these who have attacked us, are separated from us by this wall of angels. And, also, and second, those outside the wall who have attacked us will be too busy worshiping Jesus. Now, there's a, a already and not yet paradox here. Some of these things that we have seen have already happened or are already happening. Jesus is already reigning. He is already king. But not yet are all of his enemies submissive to him. Not, all, not yet are all of his enemies bowing before him. There was... I know the year 2020 is coming to a close, and we're excited about that. But even in 2021 and onward, there will still be disease, there will still be division, and there will still be death. The people of God will continue to be attacked, and we will be increasingly attacked by the world and the devil. However, we will not be defeated. We know. And no matter what happens here, whether we're healthy or whether we're sick, whether we have plenty or whether we're poor, whether we're free or oppressed, whether we're 
at peace or at persecution, whether we're in prison, whether we're beaten, whether we're tortured, whether we live or die, there is no scenario where we lose. Because the lion who has conquered is the same lamb that was slain for us. And he will reign forever and ever. What is our response? What should our response be to all of this? Verse 14. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. We're to worship. We're to worship the Lord, the King Jesus, every day. Every day. Every moment. Ceaselessly worshipping. How are we to worship, though? Right? We can't come to church every Sunday, every day. How are we to worship? First, we're to worship with our thought. We're to be thinking about Jesus every day. Thinking about his glory, his majesty, his power, his supremacy, his preeminence, all of his attributes, all the work that he has done in creation and redemption. We should be thinking about him and pondering and contemplating the wonder of Jesus, the only one who is worthy to rule as king over all. And out of that contemplation will flow worship. Second, we're to be proclaiming his name. We get to proclaim the greatness of Jesus. We need not be, be nervous. We're proclaiming the king, the only one who is worthy. We have the best news anybody in this world can hear. And we must be unashamedly proclaiming Jesus. When we are asked what we believe, we need not shudder. We need not try to come up with some, some cliche answers. We must simply say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then thirdly, we must live like him. We must live like him. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, and becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Christian parabola. Jesus left his heavenly throne, came down to the lowest point, death on the cross. And then he rose and is exalted above all. We must be willing to suffer. To, to lower ourselves, to submit as our Lord did, as our King did. We must be willing to take, pick up our cross and to die to ourselves. We must be willing to follow Jesus. But Jesus didn't end at the lowest point. He was exalted. And as we are at our lowest point, as we are following Jesus, we will also follow him to heaven, to glory. And we will reflect his glory, the glory of the king. 
Think about these things as we enter the new year. And as things get hard, and as chaos seems to reign, let us remember our king is on his throne. Our king is reigning. Our king has no competition. And our king loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for fulfilling your promise in Genesis 3 that you will reverse the curse and that you will send one offspring, one seed, to crush the head of the serpent. We thank you that that is Jesus, our Lord, our King. We thank you that he reigns forever and ever and that because of his grace, we will be there with him. Apart from hurts, apart from, from our enemies, from persecution, oppression, and forever in the midst of the love and the joy and the glory of our King. His name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist. 